Welcome to the Providence Community Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you would like to stay connected with us, download our app, Providence Community, or visit our website, providencecommunity.org. Amen. We having fun? Is that good? We blessed? Wonderful. Well, friends, I'm looking at the time. I don't have tons of it today. We want to honor what's going on in children's ministry and stuff. And so I'm just going to forego a few things that I was going to speak to. And I'm going to jump right into the Bible. Do you have your Bibles? Book of Revelation. Turn all the way to the last book of the Bible. If you don't know uh, where Revelation is, the easiest one to find. The last book of the Bible. And then chapters uh, 4 and chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. I almost never speak out of the book of Revelation, but there's been so much uh, intrigue in this book over the past year or so. Um, I I want to uh, start by speaking to something that I feel that God um, has really been pounding into my heart, pounding into my mind. In fact, uh, when I was sitting uh, right down here in the front row last week, I really sensed the Spirit uh, Uh, telling me pointedly to speak on this passage last week. And so I'm walking in that obedience today. So it's Revelation chapter four and five. And really what I I want to to talk about um, is is as a Jesus church, which is who we are, amen? Um, As a Jesus church, I wanna be teaching toward Jesus. And I believe that the reason that God wants us to be teaching toward Jesus, the, the rest of 2021, we're in a big preaching and teaching series called Jesus, all right? We're just preaching Jesus the rest of 2021 because we're a Jesus church. But I wanna talk about today very specifically that I wanna discuss um, the, the need to keep going after Jesus because I think when you look at the church at large, I know this is gonna sound stinging, it's gonna sound, um, it's, it's painful to say, and I'm not trying to judge us, I'm very happy about what the Spirit is doing to change this, but I feel like what God wants me to speak on today is the reality that, that we're losing Jesus in the church. All right, we're losing Jesus in the church. I hear so many great messages that the Spirit wrecks me on um, about lots and lots and lots of things. But more and more, I'm hearing less and less right preaching and teaching on Jesus. I hear tons of preaching on Jesus that you use him like a tool to get what you really want, all right? And you're gonna get tired of me saying this, but Jesus is not a tool to get what you really want. He, he is the goal of your salvation, okay? So as a Jesus church, we're going after that, not just doing what Jesus says and following him in obedience, but we're going after Jesus. And there's multiple areas where we're losing Jesus. I'm gonna name a few, but here's one. We've learned to lead like a business person, not like a Jesus person in the church, all right? All of our teaching comes from Hybels and whoever else on how to lead the church. Very rarely do we actually go back and look at Jesus leading the church, not like an executive, but like a shepherd. That's not attractive in a, in a high-flying, fast-paced, moving day where you get things done. An accomplishment is sexy and waiting on God is boring, all right, but this is, I, I, I talked to a, teenage, a teenager yesterday that, was, that knows nothing about the Bible, but, but this person was quoting a TED Talk to me like the back of his hand. All right, TED Talk, whatever. I, I wanna hear Jesus talk, all right? 
Um, here, here's, one, here's one way we're losing Jesus, that we've learned to use Jesus to get to heaven. We've learned to use Jesus to get goals, but we have not learned that he is heaven. He is the goal, okay? If you get to a heavenly kingdom in another realm and you see uh, uh, rivers of glass and streets of gold and family reunions and Jesus is not there, let me tell you something. It's not heaven, all right? And we, we've, we've learned that Jesus just wants to give us a mansion, but the Bible says that Jesus wants to give us himself, and we are satisfied in him. We've, we've learned in the church to use Jesus as an example, but not know Jesus as our joy and our delight. We use him as a, an example to follow. And listen, when you follow the example of Jesus, you usually feel bad because he's perfect and we're not. So we constantly kind of mull around saying, hey, I'm not who I was, but I'm just not great. Jesus says you're great. And he wants to light you up with his righteousness, not make you feel bad for not being perfect. We've learned that God wants us to be holy, but not happy. I'm so tired of hearing this in the church. Don't you know, biblically speaking, that holiness is happiness in Jesus? Did you not know that? You didn't, did you? <laughs> Your silence answered the question. Listen, God wants you to be happy in him. God wants your soul, when you think of him, to come alive. How could it be that that taking all of your heart unreservedly and giving it to God and walking in holiness doesn't make your soul sing for joy. We need to learn this. We, we've learned other things that make us feel bad into obedience, but that's not Christianity. We, we, we've learned that we're supposed to go for Jesus, but we haven't learned what it is to be sent by Jesus. So we got many people that say, well, I gotta go, I gotta go. I gotta get out, I gotta get out. But if you're not filled up with the love of the Father and you're going, you're just going in powerless, half-hearted obedience instead of the overflow of the love of the cross and the kingdom in your life. I could do this for years. I mean, I, I, feel, I feel deeply in my bones that the church is about to come back to life. I feel deeply in my bones that the Holy Spirit desires to break out on the church. But listen to this. The, the Holy Spirit doesn't break out on the church just by us singing Holy Spirit break out. All right? The Holy Spirit, that is a song from the Father's heart. We should sing it. But the Holy Spirit breaks out when we ask for it, and the, the context and the environment is exalting Jesus. All right? So today, I want to discuss one thing, though, that I believe to be the foundation of all of these things and more, and that is the worthiness of Jesus. The worthiness of Jesus. Guys, the, we sing all the time how worthy Jesus is, but here's what I'm hearing more than we even talk about the worthiness of Jesus is we talk about the worthiness of us. And I think that God wants to flip some things, and I really do believe that it's just a, it's a matter of the wrong terminology because you and I are not worthy, meaning deserving, but we do have worth as image bearers and sons and daughters in Jesus. 
all right? So I want to talk about the worthiness of Jesus, and I want to clear a few things up. Listen to this, Revelation chapter 4, starting with verse 8. I really hope this messes with our hearts um, in the best possible ways and leaves us laying on the ground in happy tears. That is my goal for this message, and I'm not joking, all right? Actually, and I get that from the Bible. It's Revelation chapter 4. I'm just going to start with verse 8. It's a picture. This is, this is John the Apostle. They tried to kill him by boiling him in oil. He wouldn't die. So they exile him to the island of Patmos. And on the island of Patmos, he receives the revelation. All right? And that is the book of Revelation. It was a revelation, divine revelation given to the Apostle John. And that, that's what this book is. So starting with chapter 4, verse 8. Here's what John is seeing. And he says, I'm just going to hop kind of midway through. It says, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It never stops in heaven. They never get tired of this song. Ever. They never get tired of standing or flying or laying or crying. Never do they get bored with this declaration. Look at verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Now, chapter 5, listen to this, the first four verses, then I'll stop for a moment. Listen to this, chapter 5, verse 1, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Okay, so the father is on the throne, he's holding in his right hand a scroll written within and on the back. That means there's writing on the inside of the scroll and on the outside of the scroll. That means it's bursting with revelation of some kind. All right, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. Stop there. Stop there. A strong angel is asking a question, who is worthy to open this scroll and break its seals? And a search goes out in heaven. And a search goes out on the earth. And the search goes out under the earth. And no one is found able to open the scroll or look into it. And look at verse 4. And this is John speaking. He says, so... I began to weep loudly because no one was found, no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. I'm going to stop right there for a moment. I want to comment for a few just on the first four verses of Revelation chapter 5, some things that I think that we need to clarify, and then we'll really get to the point of this passage. But the first thing I want us to do is look at verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on a back sealed with seven seals. I want to talk about this scroll, and I want to talk about what we do know about the scroll, because I think many times when you study the book of Revelation, you can conjecture a whole lot and just miss the point, all right? We get, we get what takes over is curiosity instead of just saying, 
What are you revealing, Father? here, all right? So here's what we do know about this scroll. We know there's a scroll in the hand of Abba. We do know that there's writing on it on the front. We do know that there's writing on it on the back. We do know that it's sealed with seven seals, and we do know that it needs to be opened, all right? That is what we do know, amen? That we, what we do not know is its contents, all right? This is, and many times what gets our attention is, well, I wonder what the scroll says. Well, if you go back to Ezekiel, you find that Ezekiel is getting a scroll, and maybe it's something like, listen, we don't know what was written on it. We know that it's overflowing with something from God on the front and the back. That's not normal. That's super normal, all right? We do know that, but the Bible never says exactly what is the contents of the, of the scroll because the contents of the scroll are not the points of the passage. The point of the passage is not what's on the scroll, all right? All we need to know about the scroll is that it's important. It must be opened. It is so important that if you skip to verse four, John, when nobody is found to open the scroll and read its contents, John begins to weep. This needs to be open and there's nobody to open it. So we don't know what it says, but we know that it's important, important enough to make John weep over what's not being read. But listen, once again, the point is not the scroll. The point is found in the next two verses. Will you read those with me? Look at, look at verse two and verse three. It says this, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break it seals, all right? Now, this is a question. This is an angelic question. The, the angel comes out with the point of the passage. The, the, the point is not what's written on the scroll. The point is this. Who is worthy to read it? Who is worthy to open it? Is anyone worthy to open the scroll and its seals? It is, is not saying, the angel is not asking this. Is anyone willing? All right, that is not the question. I bet you John would have been saying, I'll do it. I love this place. You guys are awesome. I'll, give me that scroll. All right, I'm sure John, I mean, if angels ask this in church, many, I think many of us, well, I'll, I'll open the scroll. What, seven seals? That's easy. All right, but here the question is, 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 is not is anyone willing, but is anyone worthy to open the scroll? And the answer found in verse three is No. There is no one worthy to open this scroll. And no, look at verse three, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. You see this? So the question is not, what does the scroll say? The question is, who is worthy to open the scroll? Because the one who's worthy to open the scroll is the only one who is worthy to declare what it says. You see? In heaven, there's no one. On earth, no one under the earth. Isn't that interesting? The angels are looking for people under the earth to open the scroll. Isn't that interesting? Now, I want to talk about the word worthy. The word worthy and the word worth are two different words. Did you know that? We use them interchangeably, but the word worthy is an adjective, and it describes someone who is. Okay? It describes someone who is. It's an adjective. 
It's descriptive of a person. So the, when, you, when you, I asked the Oxford Dictionary, what is the definition of the word worthy? And it basically comes down to this. It's someone who's deserving. It's someone who's worthy. It's someone who possesses, this is great, a, a worthy person is a person who possesses their own merit. All right? That is a worthy person. We use this in the English language when we say um, that was a worthy opponent. All right? I haven't found any worthy opponents in table tennis in years. Years. I laugh at you playing you left-handed with a, you know, with a, a whatever. All right? With a stick, I laugh at you. All right? I need to find a worthy opponent. It, it, listen to this. Someone who deserves to be in the Olympics is a worthy opponent, someone who has gone through all the strenuous training, passed all the tests, passed everything to be there. And so we have, we have the best of the best competing against one another. They're worthy opponents. They possess their own merit. They earned their position, <laughs> all right? This passage is basically asking this, who has merit on their own to open the scrolls and seals? This is not grace. You hear this? Opening the scroll and the seal is not grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. All right? It's unmerited. It unlocks everything for us. But in this case, we don't want grace to open the scroll. We want the giver of it. The one, the one who is it who has merit on his own. That is the person who can open the scroll and the seals, all right? Now, that would be the person we would call worthy, but on that angelic search under the earth, on the earth, and in heaven, there's no one to be found worthy. I'm getting there, guys, all right? But I want to talk about, I also want to talk about the word worth, though, because I think, it, I, I think that there's a distinction here that we must know as sons and daughters of the Father. Worth is different than worthy. Worthy is an adjective. Worth is a noun. Okay? The definition of worth is having value. Having value. Every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being is made in the image of God and therefore has value because in whose image they were made. You see this? You don't have to be a Christian to have value. You don't become valuable when you put your faith in Jesus and follow him. You always were. Babies, old people, young people, people with all kinds of ailments, you write valuable over everyone. There is no person, every race, every belief, every everything. Every, if you find a human being in any form on any corner of the globe, it doesn't matter what they believe, it doesn't matter what they look like, smell like, act like, do. They can be the greatest sinner on the planet and they have value because of in whose image they were created. You see this? It, this, this dictates how we treat other people. As Christians, we don't hate people because we're hating the image of God on that person. All right? Every person has value, but every person is not worthy. All right? You see this? Like, you've got worth because of whose image you were made in, but you are not worthy because you don't 
have your own merit. This is, this is not a slap to humanity. This is not a slap to people. This is just a biblical distinction that could be life-altering here. We are, value, we are valuable as human beings, but our value does not make us deserving. Just because you have value doesn't mean that you can go play in the Olympics. <laughs> do, you know how, do you know how nobody would watch the Olympics if you and I were in them? <laughs> That's not exciting. Like, you have value, but it doesn't mean that you can be paid a billion dollars to play on the Lakers. You're just, you, this, this, you are valuable, but you cannot do that, guys. And what, what, must be, what must be done to be worthy is found in verse five, all right? Haven't left it, look at this. There's no one found worthy. No one was able to open the scroll or look into it. Look at verse four. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. That's what John says. Now look at verse five. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. <laughs> Behold, that means I want you to see something incredible. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so the line of the tribe of Judah is the promised Messiah, the root of David, promised Messiah, meaning Jesus. And what he's done is he has conquered so that he can, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So what must be done to be worthy is on your own merit, conquer death, conquer sin, conquer the grave, and conquer everything that accompanies those curses forever. That is what worthiness does. And that is how you decide who is worthy. Who here has conquered death on their own merit. And there is only one. The root of Jesse. The line of the tribe of Judah. Jesus the Christ is the one who is worthy. <laughs> Now what this passage is doing is this, this passage is pointing all attention on the one who is worthy, okay? That's what the passage is doing. The, the content of the scroll is, is only worthwhile if the worthy one can open it. So it's, then the rest of it is just a feast on he who is worthy. Look at this. I'm just going to read a lot of scripture here, all right? And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth and he went and took and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne and when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints so listen to this the significance of this is what this passage is saying and implying is Jesus himself was receiving intercession and prayers of the the saints. And look at verse 9. And they sang a song. Who sang a song? Intercessors and all of those who fell down before God, <laughs> holding bowls of intercession. They sang a song. And here's the tune to the song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. Listen, this, this, this shows who is worthy. The one who is slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. This doesn't say, and by your blood, you got people to heaven. You have to see it. All throughout the scriptures, God is the goal. 
You were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God. That, that is the heartbeat and the cry of, of the gospel. You get God as your dad. You get God as your treasure. You get God as your everything. And he is better than a million days anywhere else. And from every tribe and language and people and nation, what this means is that Jesus purchased a colorful bride from everywhere on the planet. And what it also means is that any, any type of, uh, yeah, what's the word? When, uh, racism is abolished and not from the Father's heart, is not in heaven whatsoever. Look at verse, uh, verse 10. And you have made them, this colorful bride, you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now this is, this is the job of those in heaven. This is the job of the people on the earth. This is the job of those under the earth. This is what they do. They don't open scrolls out of their own merit. This is what they do. And in the sea and all that is in them, sing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. This is what heaven looks like, sounds like, smells like, feels like. This is what our worship services should look like with increasing measure. If it makes you uncomfortable, just read the Bible and the, Lord, the Holy Spirit will chip away at our hearts. But what we were made to be is not the center of all history. What we were made to be is not the center of all heaven. When, when, the, when the angelic announcement goes out, is there anyone who is worthy? God did not make us to stand up and say, yes, my son or daughter is worthy to open the scroll. It's not how it works. That's what we preach. That's what sounds nice. But you weren't made to be the center. You were made to fall down at the feet of he who is the center. Man, we got to get this right. We got to get this right. It's like, it's like the gospel that we're presenting today is making us get excited about being gods. And we're actually saying that Jesus wants to fall at our feet. Jesus wants us to be first. Listen, you are not made to be first. You're made to be second at Jesus' feet. That's where your heart is satisfied. And that is the kind of heart where Holy Spirit says, you know what? I'm making that heart my home. <laughs> There's one who's worthy. The one who was slain for the sins of the world, ransoming people for God. Let me, say, let me say this. Let's get a few things. Let's drill down for another moment, then I'll be done. But your salvation had nothing to do. Your salvation had nothing to do with you being worthy of it. You've got it, man. You've got to hear this. If you believe that you were worthy of your salvation, you just don't know the beauty of it yet. God is not asking us to purchase our salvation by our own merit or our own worthiness. I, when I was in youth ministry, I, I've got this picture that I don't think will ever leave my mind. We were, 
we were, this is back before smartphones and YouTube. This is before, man, if we could have caught some of this stuff on film, it would have been beautiful. But in God's providence, it, it, was, just a, it was just one of these beautiful things, like just nestled, all right, for just us to remember and the, the world will never see, all right? But I remember the Holy Spirit fell on the house <laughs> And it was, it, was a, it was a mess, guys. It was a mess. We just wrecked teenagers. I remember there's one kid that disrupted the whole meeting because he was on his face at the front screaming, uh, I want to be worthy. I want to be worthy. I want to be worthy. And he was sad that he wasn't. And we got to pull him to the side and say, listen, God's not asking you to be worthy. Jesus is worthy for you. And he wants you. And it changed the whole game for this young man's life. I feel like so many of us have bought this, this half-truth that, that says, I've got to be worthy for God. But that is the spirit of religion. God's not, not, God is, you're not a performer in God's house. You're not a jester that comes in and dances for him. And if he likes your dance, you're welcomed in. He's not looking for a performance. He's enthralled by himself. You see, do you hear this? He's not looking for you to give him something he doesn't have. He just wants you. He just wants you. If salvation is given by worthiness, that means that salvation is not a gift, it's a payment. And grace is unmerited. It's the unmerited favor of God on your life. And that's how God gets the glory, by giving you what you did not deserve. And that's how you get your soul to sing. Because you get he who made you and he who made you for him. You get the one in whom you were made by and for. Romans chapter five, verses six and verses eight says this, for while we were still weak, meaning unworthy, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, meaning unworthy. Look at verse eight, but God shows his love for us. God doesn't just talk about his love, God displays his love for us and that while we were still sinners, that's unworthy, Christ died for us the weak, ungodly, sinful, unworthy ones, all right? This is, do, you, do you see this? The, the glory of the gospel is not that God's paying you for being good boys and girls. The glory of the gospel is that God, rich in love, comes after you while you were lost, while you were still sinners. Christ died for us where we were before. This is where we were before Christ. But, but how he found us is not because our worthiness drew his attention. God did not find us because he was like, he's searching the globe. And he's like, oh, wow, look at the performance of these people at Providence. Wow, I, I've never seen a big man dance like that before, Jesus says. This is, this is great angels. Get down there. The, I have found these to be worthy. This is not how it is. This is, we've got to get back to the gospel. We did not draw his attention by our worthiness. We drew his attention by our sinfulness. We drew his attention by our need for him. That's what drew his attention. Jesus didn't die because you're good. Jesus died because he's good. The cross is not about God recognizing your worthiness. It's about him seeing your brokenness and offering you his righteousness in his place. <laughs> this is, now listen, the kingdom of Jesus, this is, this is an upside down backwards kingdom. It makes no sense to people who don't have, who don't have the spirit of God. 
all right? Because in, in the world, you, you build business with, you know, great execution and all kinds of organization. In the kingdom of Jesus, you, you build Jesus' kingdom with the down and outers that never could have done anything in a worldly, in a worldly way. All right, the kingdom of Jesus is built on, on Jesus' worthiness, and in his worthiness, here's what the worthy one does. This is how he builds. You see this in Luke chapter four, but I'm gonna go to Isaiah chapter 61, where, where Jesus, this is when Jesus started his earthly ministry. This is what he declared. This is, this is why he came. This is what he came to do. This was his mission. Isaiah 61, chapter one, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is how God's glorified, not by him recognizing your dance, but by him seeing your brokenness and being everything for you. And look at verse four. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Now, why is that significant? Because it shows how God builds his kingdom. He's not looking for the best. He's looking for the poorest. He's not looking for the worthy. He's looking for the broken. He's not looking for the free. He's looking for captives. He's looking for the bound. He's looking for those who are planting tear seeds in the ground so he can resurrect them. He's looking for the hurting that he may be glorified. This is how he does it. He meets us in our brokenness and he makes us through the cross what we can never be on his own. God built his kingdom with the once broken now whole, the once bound, now free, the once orphaned, now family. And the beauty of the gospel is not that you are worthy, it's that you're broken and now healed by he who is worthy. This is the beauty of the gospel and this is what I believe God is calling us to lose ourselves over. We just lose ourselves over We've got, to, we've got to be okay with Jesus being first. And we've just got to be okay with saying, listen, Jesus, I trust you with me. I trust you with my platforms. I trust you with my voice. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my job. I trust you with my family. What I'm doing is I'm trusting my whole life to you to lead it better than I ever could. And I am just one billion percent yours. Yours. Now, some of you here, are saying, wow, that's, you yelled at us a lot, Nathan. I'm so confused. You talked about seven horns on Jesus' slain body. Like, what in the world does that mean? All right? Well, here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do today. If you didn't get anything, I want to encourage you to anchor your hearts in grace, not try to be worthy. Anchor your hearts in grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It's one of the most beautiful scriptures in the entire Bible. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. So you anchor your heart and it's grace. 
all right? Grace is where striving ceases. Like, this is, like, Christianity is just resting in who Jesus is and what he's done and stop trying to perform for him and just be, just know that you've got, you are now the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to your spiritual account. And you, the Father sees you as righteous as he sees his son. And you're just like, I'm resting there. And Holy Spirit, meet me here. Come change me. Come change me. I'd also say this, though, and this is, this is one of the things that gets a little bit more practical, but I would encourage you all to embrace community brokenness. When I look at the, when I look at the church, like the, the song that I heard sung the most, not here, but in the church, the song that I heard sung the most is the, a song of frustration about broken people. How annoying they are, how much we disagree with them, how their brokenness, you know, chafes me, how we just, we're, we're, but I want to tell you that when you see people's brokenness, that's, that's where you begin to hone in on prayer because other people's brokenness, including yours, is where God wants to meet those broken people and save them. Do you not know that? Where did that go in the church? Why are we talking about how everyone frustrates us? Give it a biblical rest. Just begin to pray for other people. Just begin to go after them with the heart of the Father. We can't be sent out into the world if we're, we're fueled by frustration and not faith in the Son. Not the love of the Father. That's why we say, that's why we say that our mission here is we build people to overflow in God's love and carry His heart. That's what we do. We get up in the morning. We don't have a list of people that frustrate us and that we're going to avoid. We have a, we have a list of people that are broken and need Jesus and God's gonna give us the grace to deal with them, right? I could go on, but I really, I really believe that one of the things that God wants to do is, is he, wants to, he wants us to return to his original design for worship and for life. And God's original design for worship and life is, we just read it in the book of Revelation. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. It's just they're not on the clock. They're so obsessed with him that they're never tired of him. All right? And then what is constantly done is, is the worth of Jesus is constantly declared. And what's constantly done is people fall on their feet, on their face, at Jesus' feet, and they lift him up. And they lift him up and they fall down, they worship. If they have a crown, they cast it. They give everything to Jesus. And I really believe that that is the posture and that is the place. If you want Jesus, that you'll find Jesus. Just doing what heaven does. Saying, Jesus, you alone are worthy. I will be found at your feet. I'm sorry for trying to be a jester in your house instead of a daughter or a son. And I, I just want in my heart to be overjoyed. Guys, listen, just put your hand on your heart for a second. Let's just, let's just pray this into our heart. Heavenly Father, awaken these hearts to see Jesus. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we were singing about from our heart to see that Jesus is better more satisfying, more glorious, more everything than we could ever be or ever want. Help us to see, Father, that we are loved, we're not performers. Help us to see, God, that we can, we can turn off the show and we can enter in. God, I just pray that over this house. I pray that over this, these people. I pray that this gospel message is what begins to fuel our hearts and our souls and our lives. And this church, 
and that we will be dangerous to darkness in these days. And the darkness that tries to drown all of this out, God, would not be successful because the, the good news of Jesus going forth, flowing out of hearts here. God, I pray for people who need Jesus, who have a form of godliness, but don't actually know you. I pray that you'd save them right now. Holy Spirit, just convict and do your thing and save them right now. Let them know that they are, they are uh, loved and wanted in Jesus. And the cross is paid for everything. And then I pray, God, that you would renew hearts and renew minds and renew lives in this house and this day. Let us walk out new and refreshed, I ask and I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org. 